You're listening to Jesus is Everything, the teaching ministry of The Way, Eugene. That brings us to 1 Corinthians chapter 9. As I said earlier, that's where we're at in our verse-by-verse study. So we'll continue on there. Now, we're going to begin in verse 1. We had previously, on on the last two Sundays, uh, dealt with verses 19 through the end of the chapter. So tonight we're just going to look at uh, starting in verse 1 and go through verse 18. Now this is an important uh, chapter, as I've said before. It's sort of a transitionary chapter in this uh, letter that Paul writes to the church. He's been rebuking the church for the last eight uh, chapters or so. And now he's going to start giving some real practical instruction about how Christians, followers of Jesus, are supposed to behave when they gather together, what the church is supposed to look like. And so that's some important stuff for for us to understand. But there's one big idea I want you to track with as we're going through this verse by verse. If you get lost, if you feel like, okay, I, I, I lost track of what Lucian was saying, or he's not explaining it very well, track with this one idea. And this is something you might want to write down just so that you have it as a summary of what we're studying. Here's the idea that I want you to walk away with tonight, a question to ask yourself and then compare against what we see in the scriptures. What right do you and I have in who we are as human beings, as Americans, whatever it might be, what right do we have that we're willing to give up for the sake of the gospel of Jesus Christ? That's where I want our heads to be at and where our hearts need to be at in considering the things that Paul is talking to the church about tonight. What right do we have that is ours that we're willing to give up that right so that we can minister the gospel of Jesus Christ to someone? That's the question I want us to ask ourselves tonight as we're studying through this. Now, let's take a look at verse 1 and jump in here. Paul says, am I not... Free. Am I not an apostle? Have I not seen Jesus our Lord? Are not you my workmanship in the Lord? If to others I'm not an apostle, at least I am to you, for you are the seal of my apostleship in the Lord. Verse 3, Paul says, This is my defense to those who would examine me. Paul's going to spend the next several verses here in this part of the letter to the church here, and he's going to defend the choices he's made about how he ministers to the church here at Corinth, very specifically, this city and this church that he actually founded. He started this group of believers gathering together, learning about Jesus, and he's going to defend his uh, methodology, if you will, or his style of ministry to these people specifically. Now, if you remember, we've studied previously, Paul has just finished up talking about the liberty or the freedom that we have as Jesus followers. A lot of times people think that being a a Christian or being a Jesus follower means that somehow there's all these rules that we have to follow, right? These religious like do this and don't do this and you're good if you do this and you're bad if you do that. Paul says, listen, I'm completely free from any type of religious requirement. And yet what he also teaches is that in the liberty that we have, the freedom that we have, we are also to have wisdom to understand how to make sure that the way that we're living our life not only matches up with who Jesus is, 
but is an encouragement for other Christians. That we live our life in a way that does this, builds people up in their faith, not tears them down. If you walk away with one thing tonight, even after the question that I asked earlier, walk away with this truth. Remember this tonight. God builds up. Satan tears down. If we remember that axiom, that that statement, and sort of just play that through in our mind as we consider what it means to be a Christian, what it means to follow after Jesus, that's going to help us to be able to discern whether our own thoughts, our own hearts and minds are in line with what God's will is for our life, or if we're somehow just off course. God builds up, Satan tears down. Now, someone may say, well, the book of Ecclesiastes says there's a time for every season under heaven. There's a time for planting. There's a time for uh, rooting up, all these kinds of things. And that's true. That's, that's a whole different subject to talk about. But in the sense of what's taking place in our lives as Christians, how we treat one another, how we live together and fulfill the call that Paul has made on the church to be in unity with one another, this is a truth that God builds up and Satan tears down. So if we ever find ourselves at a place where we're saying, hey, I don't care about so-and-so or such-and-such or to heck with those people or whatever, that's a moment for us to check ourselves and go, now, wait a minute, is that really how Jesus responds to people? Is that really what Jesus thinks about people to heck with them? Or, or is that just me and my sin trying to tear people down or tear institutions down? So from that understanding that we're both supposed to be looking for how to build each other up in the church, in our freedom, Paul asks the question specifically about his ministry. He says, Am I not free? There's two things I want you to consider and possibly write down if you're taking notes. There's two things to consider as we move through Paul's defense of his ministry. The first is consider that there's a difference between Greek thought, meaning the world that they were living in at that time. This is an ancient text. This is 2,000 years old. The way that they thought back then is very different than how we think in Western culture today. In that culture that Paul is talking to and the people that he is teaching about how to follow Jesus, the Corinthians there were, were, even though they were Christians, they were approving of and they followed after Greek thought. And for our purposes tonight, understand this. The Greek thought at that time was that anybody who did manual labor, anybody who worked with their hands, they were a second-class citizen. They, they weren't among the elite of society. They, they very much fell to the side of like artists and philosophers and, and people who sat around and talked about important things and big ideas. This was Greek thought. Those were the people who were considered noble or successful, the people who sat around and just talked about ideas. The Greek thought of the day and age was a guy that got up early and went to work and worked his tail off all day and came home and took care of his family. They kind of looked down on him as just sort of a, a nobody. So understand, this is why Paul is having to defend his style of ministry, and you'll see it in just a second. The second thing to consider as we're reading through this, Paul begins to ask these um, these questions, rhetorical questions, questions that he doesn't even, he's not expecting them to actually answer. He's asking the question because they already know the answer. He's going to start asking these questions as a literary technique 
to be able to get the Corinthians to sort of straighten up their thought process, processes, to start thinking correctly about their relationship to Paul. Paul is having to, again and again, reassert his authority in the church to be able to say, hey church, listen up. I'm the one who knows you. I introduced you to Jesus. I established you in the Lord. And so now you should be listening to the instruction that I give you, okay? So this is the thing. Paul says, am I not free? He begins with the rhetorical question. Of course he's free. He just talked about how there's liberty in Christ. The second thing he says here, am I not an apostle? By definition, biblically, an apostle was identified by two things. An apostle was someone who had seen Jesus in the flesh. They had met Jesus face to face. Number one criteria for being an apostle, having met Jesus face to face. Number two criteria for being an apostle, Jesus commissioning that person to go out and deliver a message. That's what an apostle means, a sent one. A sent one of Jesus Christ. The apostle Paul was an apostle because on the road to Damascus, Jesus appeared to him in bodily form. A bright light shone and the voice spoke out, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? It's hard for you to kick against the goads. It's hard for you to fight against the things that I'm leading you toward. And so you know the story there, Paul is blinded. A man named Ananias is called out and, and to pray for him and to tell him all the things that God has planned for him. And Jesus very specifically tells Paul, here's what you're going to do. Here's your commission. This is what I'm telling you to go do on my behalf. Paul was an apostle. And so he says, am I not an apostle? It's a rhetorical question. They know the answer to that question. Now, Ephesians chapter 4 says that when Jesus ascended on high, when he left the earth, it says that he gave gifts to the church for the purpose of the church growing up into maturity to be to, until we're unified completely in Christ, that, that Jesus gave gifts to the church. And it says that he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and the teachers. Like many things, that's a whole study unto itself that you could spend a long time understanding. But, but take note of this, in Ephesians 2, it also says, pardon me, that the household of God, or the church as we know it, is built upon the apostles, the ones who were sent out from Jesus to establish the church, and the prophets, the ones who spoke out God's word, Okay. So, so with that understanding, with that knowledge, that that's how the church was created, the apostles and the prophets, those who were sent out to establish the church, those who spoke the word of God, Paul says, am I not an apostle? And again, it's a rhetorical question because these people, uh, of all people, should know that that's true. Here's what he says, in, again in verse 1, are you not my workmanship in the Lord? Verse 2 says, if to others I'm not an apostle, at least I am to you, for you are the seal of my apostleship in the Lord. What that means is, Paul, Paul says, of anybody who would question my authority, you at the church of Corinth should know that I have the authority to speak to you the word of God. I was sent by Jesus to do that very job. 
He says, you're the actual sign that I am an apostle. The fact that there's a church here, the fact that you know who Jesus is, is the actual symbol or sign that I am an apostle. I've been sent by Jesus to do this work. Proverbs 18.16 offers a little bit of wisdom in this regard. Proverbs 18.16 says, a man's gift makes room for him. And remember, Ephesians 4 says that an apostle is a gift from Jesus. A prophet, someone who speaks out God's word at, at a moment in time where God says, just speak out this truth, that's a gift from Jesus. An evangelist, someone who goes out and just talks about the gospel to people, that's a gift from Jesus. Shepherds, people who care for the body of Christ and, and, and actually model themselves after how God says in Ezekiel 34, he's going to be the shepherd, right? He's the chief shepherd. Pastors, those who teach and, and instruct in the church, these are gifts from God so that the church can be built up. And Proverbs 18, 16 says, a man's gift makes room for him. The Corinthians are supposed to be listening to the Apostle Paul. Verse 3 says this, this is my defense to those who would examine me. In every area of life, it doesn't matter where it is, but, but it happens in the church as well, is that there are people who are always seeking to bring or to question leadership is the best way to say it. There are always who want to bring people who want to bring their leaders under intense scrutiny. Now, here's the truth about that. There is a warning in Scripture for people who undertake the teaching of God's truth to his people. In James chapter 3, verse 1, it says, Those who teach the word will incur a stricter or a harsher judgment. There's something about taking God's word and, and handling it in such a way that, that you're going to teach it to someone else. We have to be very, very conscientious in how we do that. Spend time studying, understanding, doing the work, right? And, and because the truth is that we will be under a harsher judgment, not just from the Lord because we're speaking his word, but because of the people who are listening to us. When you begin speaking out truth, you can't just make stuff up. You can't just go, I think this is what that means. There has to be the work involved of going, God, what does this mean? How do I communicate this to your people so that they understand how to become more and more like Jesus? And, and so Paul says, this is my defense to those who would examine me. There's people going to question his authority, question whether he knows what he's talking about or not. People are going to question you. When you say, I'm a Christian, I'm a follower of Jesus, I believe that Jesus died on the cross for my sins, was buried in a tomb for three days, and then rose to life, and is actually alive right now. He ascended into heaven. When you claim that for yourself as your belief, you and I, as people who believe that, need to be able to make a defense of that. We need to be able to say, why, why do I believe that? Is it just because I was raised in a family that went to a Christian church? versus someone who goes to a synagogue or a mosque or doesn't believe in God at all? Is that why I believe those things? Or do I actually have this relationship with Jesus where I know him to be my savior, where I've confessed my sins and said, Jesus, forgive me, and I have the promise and assurance in the scripture that says my sins are forgiven. 
I have now this liberty and freedom that Paul talks about. We need to know how to make a defense for who we are. Paul makes this defense for those who would question him or examine him and his ministry. He now jumps into the rhetorical questions that the, that the readers of his letter should know the answer to already. Verse 4 says, do we not have the right to eat and drink? Well, duh. Of course we have the right to eat and drink. We're humans. We need food. We need water. We're, we're, we need to be able to, to do that. But here's what Paul's actually talking about. Paul's saying, do we not have the right to have the support of the church to eat and drink? Paul begins talking about something that, that from a preaching perspective can be a little bit embarrassing. This is one of those sections of scripture where as you teach it, it's truth and it's right, but it's reflected back on the preacher in a way that they are claiming a right that God has given to them. It has to do with finances and has to do with uh, making a living off of this ministry. And that can be a little bit uncomfortable or, or embarrassing. But remember that Moses was instructed by God to write in the Bible for all time that he was the most humble man to have ever walked the earth. Sometimes there's embarrassing things that are true that we just have to live with. And so Paul says here, do we not have the right to eat and drink? Meaning, do we not have the right for the church to support us to, to be able to survive? The second question he asks rhetorically is, do we not have the right to take along a believing wife, as do the other apostles and the brothers of the Lord and Cephas or Peter? And, and the actual translation here is, it says a believer as a wife or a believing wife, that the actual translation is a sister as a wife, meaning a sister in the Lord. We who are sent out to do the ministry of the gospel, Paul says, aren't we allowed to take a wife with us and have that relationship? Why is that important? Well, remember that Paul would teach Timothy in 1 Timothy 4.3, that in the last days, in the last days, there would be those that forbid the giving and taking in marriage. And perhaps these uh, Corinthian Christians, based on the culture around them, are looking at Paul and some of his companions and going, if you were really holy, if you were really faithful to the ministry, you wouldn't worry about having a wife. You would just worry about doing your work as a minister or as an apostle of Jesus Christ. That is a thought or an idea that is actually against what God teaches that every man should have his own wife and every wife should have her own husband. This is what God teaches. And so Paul asks that question rhetorically because the answer is, of course, they have that right to be able to do that. In verse six, it goes on and says, or is it only Barnabas and I who have no right to refrain from working for a living? Now Paul gets into the meat of what he's talking about here. He says, uh, is it only Barnabas and I who have no right to refrain from working for a living? The idea being, do, are you saying, Corinthians, that even though I'm preaching the gospel to you and I'm pastoring you and I'm teaching you as the church, that I, I have to go out and work with my own bare hands to provide a living? Shouldn't the church be providing for us? And in verse 7, he continues on and gives these analogies, these pictures, to prove his point. He says, who serves as a soldier at his own expense? Who plants a vineyard without eating any of its fruit? Or who tends a flock without getting some of the milk? And those three questions, those three examples, uh, the, again, the answers are obvious. A soldier doesn't pay for himself to go to war. 
He's provided for by whoever is the, the commander of the army, whoever owns that army. A farmer doesn't uh, grow fruit and, and, and food that, that, that they're going to sell and not take some of it for themselves so that they can live and survive. Same thing for a shepherd who's, who's uh, breeding a flock to be able to provide for his living. They take a lamb and they or someone who's raising cattle. They take a cow for their family to have food to eat. This is what Paul is saying. And he goes on in verse 8 and says this. Do I say these things on human authority? Here's the kind of accusation that Paul would get. By speaking out these truths and starting to establish Paul's right, again, we're talking about what rights we have. Paul, in establishing this right that he has to be provided for the ministry that he's serving, says, is this just a human idea? He'd be criticized and go, that's just your, that's just your interpretation, Paul. He says this, he goes on in verse 8 and says, does not the law say the same thing? And then he quotes the Old Testament. For it is written in the law of Moses, you shall not muzzle an ox when it treads out the grain. Is it for oxen that God is concerned, he asks? Does he not certainly speak for our sake? It was written for our sake because the plowman should plow in hope and the thresher thresh in hope of sharing in the crop. Paul, uh, uh, he appeals to scriptural authority, God's voice throughout the word saying this is a truth. This is, this is how we're supposed to operate. And God uses the language and says, don't muzzle an ox when it treads out the grain. God would use language that was familiar to the people at that time. They were an agrarian society. They knew about crops. They knew about livestock. And so God uses this image that says, listen, when you've got an, an oxen on this grain wheel where he's supposed to be stomping out the stalks of, of grain so that we get the husks off and we just keep the, keep the actual grains... Don't we actually let the, the oxen bend his head down and eat some so that he can be sustained and keep doing the work? Well, yeah, of course, we, we get that. That's what we let oxen do so that, we can so that they can survive in the work that, that we're doing. And Paul says, he goes, it's not just that God cares about oxen. God's using that imagery and that picture for us to learn something as well. And that's something we'll learn as we move through the rest of this letter is that the things that took place in the Old Testament, they're not just stories. They are that. They're history. There's a lot of poetry. There's a lot of imagery that takes place in the Old Testament. But what Paul will tell us later on is that everything that happened in the Old Testament happened as an example for us to learn things about the Lord and to learn things specifically about Jesus. So this is what Paul goes on to say in verse 10. Verse 11, pardon, pardon me. If we have sown spiritual things among you, meaning if we've done the work of ministry, we've shared the gospel with you, is it too much if we reap material things from you? If others share this rightful claim on you, do not we even more? This is the spiritual and practical truth that sets the precedent for people who serve in the church, in the ministry, to be paid for their work, to be compensated for the work that they're doing in, in the ministry. And that's why this is a hard thing to preach from this seat, from this position and go, hey, by the way, I just spent all this time studying and everything like that and I'm teaching this, but you should actually pay me for it, right? That's, that's sort of a, that's a, that's a hard thing to, to come out with. And there's some preachers who preach that a lot, 
right? But, but the truth is, in humility, that, that's kind of an odd thing to have to say. But stick with me here. We'll get through the next paragraph or so, and we're going to see why Paul's making a big deal about this. Let's take a look at, again, verse 12. Paul says, if others share this rightful claim on you, do not we even more? Which means that the church at Corinth has acknowledged that they would pay money to other ministers, other people who were sharing the word with them. But for some reason, there was this conflict between them and Paul and perhaps Barnabas, one of his companions, that they weren't respecting his authority and his ministry. There was this weird conflict between Paul and the church that that something wasn't lining up. They were doing the things that Paul had just taught. They were compensating other people, but they were in this argument or conflict about compensating Paul. And, And so Paul says, if others share this rightful claim on you, meaning it's right to pay them for their ministry, don't we, shouldn't we get it even more? Why even more? Remember their history. Paul's the one who brought the gospel to them. He's like a father in the faith to them. He introduced them to Jesus. There's a certain amount of honor that goes with that. There's a certain amount of deference and respect that goes with with having a relationship to the person who introduced you to Jesus. That's a huge thing. And so he goes on in the second half of verse 12 and says, Nevertheless, we have not made use of this right, but we endure anything rather than put an obstacle in the way of the gospel of Christ. This sets the tone for for the last part, the last few verses that we're going to go through here. This, This line right here. Nevertheless, we have not made use of this right. What's his right? To get paid for the ministry. That in simplicity, that in, in, in crude terms, that's exactly what Paul has the right to. For the church to pay him for the ministry that he's providing to them, teaching them about Jesus. He says, but we've not made use of that right. We've given up that right and we endure anything rather than put an obstacle in the way of the gospel of Christ. Look at verse 13. Do you not know that those who are employed in the temple service get their food from the temple and those who serve at the altar share in the sacrificial offerings? In the same way, the Lord commanded that those who proclaim the gospel should get their living by the gospel. He just reiterates that truth, makes it plain as day. That those who proclaim the gospel, and later on he'll tell Timothy, those who labor in preaching and teaching, they're worthy of Paul would say double honor, right? Not because they're such greater people necessarily, but because they're putting the work into fulfilling the ministry that God has given to them, right? And so he reiterates that in verses 13 and 14, but take a look at verse 15 again. But I have made no use of any of these rights, nor am I writing these things to secure any such provision. Again, there's this weird relationship between the Corinthians and Paul here. That's why he's having to correct a bunch of things in the church. Paul says, it's my right to be paid for the work that I'm doing for you, the ministry that I'm undertaking for you. He says, but I'm not making use of that right, nor am I writing these things to secure any such provision. He's saying, I'm not writing these things to make you feel guilty about it. In fact, I don't want it. I'm giving up that right to be paid for preaching the gospel for the sake of the gospel. Paul says, I don't want money to get in the way 
of being able to proclaim the truth of who Jesus is to you. It goes on in verse 16 and says, For if I preach the gospel, that gives me no ground for boasting, for necessity is laid upon me. Woe to me if I do not preach the gospel. Paul says on his life, and I would say on the life of every Christian, there is the necessity to preach the gospel. Why would I say that that's on the life of every Christian? Because Jesus, in the commission that he gave to his disciples in Matthew 28, says, go therefore unto all the world and proclaim the gospel. Teach everything that I taught you. Baptize people in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. And Jesus says, and I'll be with you as you do those things. That's what you're being sent out to do, commissioned to do by Jesus. And so Paul says, for if I preach the gospel, that gives me no ground for boasting. I, I can't boast about the fact that I shared the gospel with someone because that's a necessity that's been laid upon me because of what Jesus gave me to do. And he says, in fact, it's the opposite. If I don't preach the gospel, woe is me. And, and that word woe carries with it the weight that it actually sounds like, like, whoa, if I don't preach the gospel, like, oof, that's serious business. And then he says in verse 17, for if I do this of my own will, I have a reward. But if not of my own will, I'm still entrusted with a stewardship, meaning he has the responsibility to do it either way. If he receives something for preaching the gospel, he has the responsibility to do it. If he doesn't receive something for preaching the gospel, it's still his responsibility to preach the gospel. And verse 18 says this, What then is my reward? That in my preaching, I may present the gospel free of charge so as not to make full use of my right in the gospel. Historically, we see really two kinds of people in terms of looking at the ministry of the church. You have people who look at Paul's teaching here and they sort of just bend that way. It's in their heart to go, you know what? It doesn't matter if someone pays me for it. It doesn't matter if I have the, the job title or the position. It doesn't matter if I have academic letters at the end of my name. All I know is I love Jesus. I've had this experience where I understand that God just wants to be with me. He just wants to spend time with me. He wants to be in the midst of my relationship with my wife. He wants to be in the midst of my relationship with my kids, with my friends, the place that I work, all of those things. God just wants to be in all of that stuff. And he shows me that through the relationship that I have with Jesus and Jesus' perfection, okay? That, so, so, so there's the people who look at that and just go, I'm just going to talk about Jesus. It doesn't matter where I am or what I'm doing or if someone's paying me for it or not. I just have this burning need in my heart that says I have to tell people about Jesus. I have to share the gospel. And then unfortunately, to contrast that, we see historically that there are people who say, this is a way for me to make money. This is a way for me to look at people and manipulate them for my own benefit. You understand that, that the people that we look at and, and have to judge with a critical eye, whether it be the, the, the TV preachers who have had 
uh, investigations into their ministries and be found to be dishonest with their tax returns or where they say the money's going or, or you know, buying jets, you know, claiming that that's a necessity for their ministry, those kinds of things. We have to look at those things with, with a cautious eye and go, is that really part of the gospel? Is that really ministering to people, right? And, and what we've seen is the abuse of authority in the church to the point of taking advantage of people beyond just proclaiming the gospel. That's not a new thing. This is the kind of stuff that Paul is saying, I don't want to have anything to do with you paying money because I don't want money to get in the way of the fact that I'm just preaching the gospel to you. I'm here teaching you about Jesus. I don't want money to get in the way of those things. And even if you look down on me in that Greek thought, because I'm a tent maker, I work with leather and skins, and, and, and I work with my hands during the day, and then I teach Bible studies at night. He goes, don't look down on me for that. It, it's a necessity for me to do that. Now, I shouldn't have to, he says. God says you should be providing for me in these things because I'm spending my time studying and preaching. He goes, but, but throw all that aside. I don't want to get that. I don't want that to get in the way of me simply teaching you more and more about Jesus. And the truth is, is that even though it's a different type of work, there's the kind of work where, where people get up and they go break their backs, whether it's digging ditches or taking care of kids or, or any number of things where there's this hard work that's done physically. There is also a type of work that is hard, things like studying and teaching and preparing to be able to explain God's word and truth to people that requires focus and diligence and it requires all of this, this uh, 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 attention that's given to detail and learning. And there are people who look at ministry as a career move. I'm going to go towards ministry because I think I'm going to be able to get some money out of it versus whether I make money or not, I'm just going to do this. And this is what Paul is modeling for us. Remember the question at the beginning. What rights do we have in the freedom and liberty that we have in Jesus? What rights do we have that we're willing to give up just so long as we get to proclaim the gospel to someone? Just so long as we get to just proclaim who Jesus is. That's what Paul is, is that, that's the idea that encapsulates this whole idea of what Paul has explained to the church here. Perhaps embarrassingly, to have to go, hey, actually, you guys should be paying me, but wait a minute, I don't want you to do that because I don't want anything to get in the way of me proclaiming the gospel to you. That's the thought for us tonight to take with us and go, Lord, what, what do I consider my right that I'm willing to let go of, to give up so that I could proclaim the gospel to someone else?